They say you are what you eat. So what happens when someone you love has a very different idea about food? You know, different eating styles and diets are a result of so many factors. They can be cultural or religious or due to other beliefs or allergies. Let's say you're a steak lover who falls in love with a vegan or you've got a family member who practices fasting or you're a celiac married to a bread addict. When you think about all the time we spend meal prepping and how much value we put into sitting down and sharing a meal with people in our lives, we start to see how this can throw up obstacles on a daily basis. So how do you compromise when your eating style for whatever reason clashes with a loved one's? Just for an example, I eat meat, my partner is a vegetarian, and it's a, a situation that raises a lot of questions from other people when they find out how do we manage, how do we cope? We do Big welcome to our featured guest of this session. Dr. Flavia Fayette-Moore is a nutrition scientist, and being from Brazil, she has a deep love of rice and beans. For her Australian husband, it's taken a little time for his palate to adjust. Dr. Flav, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you, Bev. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to hear from you. Let's start with your own situation. Tell me about this uh, clash of the rice and beans. How did you get your husband <laughs> on board? Well, um, I, you know, rice and beans in Brazil is a staple. We basically have it in nearly every single meal. It's it's basically our side dish. And it's so culturally ingrained in our diet. So when I started cooking rice and beans for my husband, his first reaction was like, Bleh. like, what oh. is this? It's so different to, you know, big beans here in Australia. Um, but it was the persistence, right? So I love it. So I, I make it, but obviously you make other things that, that he likes. And now he absolutely loves it and craves it. And when we go to Brazil, he just can't get enough. So a convert. Um, complete convert. And it like rice and beans, legumes in Brazil, you know, from berlotti to black beans. Uh, and there's lots of different ways you can cook it. But it's definitely a staple um, in our diet. And, and delicious also we when done well. <laughs> so good. The yeah. Dr. Flab, this is so interesting because uh, I think it touches on why we care about food so much, right? We place a lot of cultural importance on food and also eating together. It's a signifier for someone like yourself, you know, being so far away from Brazil, a connection to back home. So what's going on when you make food for a loved one and they have that oil reaction. It's not just about they might not like the taste. It's it it goes and touches into different things, doesn't it? What's why is it so for significant? Sure. It's because food is ingrained in our culture. Like can can you imagine traveling anywhere in the world and not tasting the local food? Right? Where food you love food, I love food because we have to eat every day. So every single day, everyone listening has to make multiple decisions about what they're going to eat, right? So there's obviously genetics that influence, there's your, your culture, and it's so ingrained in our memories. Like food is not just taste. That smell combined with the taste is what gives it the flavor. And, you know, when you're eating something from childhood, it actually, because it's so close to the brain, the, the memory and that smell, and it really triggers memories of, of comfort, of culture, of your upbringing. Right. So, uh, yeah. And so this obviously brings us to this point now where we are bringing our own food cultures into relationships, and sometimes yeah. they don't match. You know, it can be cultural, it can be health-related, lots of reasons about why we eat the way we do. What if someone is struggling to get on board with trying to try different food and, and how do we broach that? How do we negotiate that kind of adaptation without people feeling like they're giving up a part of themselves? 
I think um, first and foremost, it's important to listen and understand the other person's reasons or beliefs around the food. But as humans, we are wired in our brain not to want to try and like new foods. <laughs> it's a safety mechanism from our animal brain. Like we're we're not going to like anything generally the first time we try it, especially bitter foods. That's you know, most people can relate like to trying bitter for the first time. Like I don't know anyone that probably went, mm, this is delicious. <laughs> so if you continue persisting with, with exposure, so let's say I'm with someone that really doesn't like having beans. Um, by making it as a side dish and having something that you have in common and focusing on what you have in common with that person and making more of that as part of your meal, then you can slowly expose them to that and eventually, based on science, they will try it and eat it. But it takes multiple times before you like it, just like beer, coffee, um, that repeated exposure to those flavors will eventually get them to like it. So we've got a text from Janice who says, I'm vegan and looking for a relationship online. I only consider men who are vegan or at least vegetarian because I think life would be tricky with a meat eater. My options for potential partners are therefore very limited. Dr. Flav, is that a common mm. experience you find? I think it's becoming more and more common as people make you know different dietary choices that are... Um, involved with like health, healthful diets. So we, the one thing we have in common with every single diet in the world is that we need to eat more veggies, right? So I think, you, I, I don't know, it's harder to limit your finding a partner based on what you eat, but I think you can potentially be a bit more open-minded and um, look at what you have in common, right? No one argues that we need to eat more plant foods in our diet. So perhaps by dating a carnivore and, and cooking up those meals and then the carnivore can have potentially the, the steak or, or the meat when they're eating out or when they're not together, the relationship can still work. So I think closing your doors a little bit based on your dietary patterns is probably the easy default choice, but it's not impossible to make it work. There, I know quite a few people that have different diets, vegan and carnivores, that have made it work. And it's all about finding the, the positive and what you have in common and focusing on that. Often the carnivores um, choose to eat the meats when they're not together. So maybe when they're out or with friends or on work trips. And that's how you can compromise to, to have, um, you know, something in common. But it is difficult. <laughs> I, would, yeah, I would say to, to Jenny, it's, it's, it's going to be more difficult. And it's around, um, you know, being willing to, to be open to different perspectives on people's food beliefs. Well, thanks for your text, Janice. And good luck to you. Let us know how that goes. Uh, and maybe, as Dr. Flav says, you can help to uh, convert somebody to the side of the vegans. It's always possible. Um, let's talk about habits as well, Dr. Flav, because it's not just what we eat, but also how we eat. So, you know, in some cultures, having a hot lunch is very important, whereas other cultures, it's just fine to, you know, kind of eat on the go. Is that also uh, something that uh, we have to wrestle with when we talk about clashing food styles? Oh my goodness, a hundred percent. So my daughter the other day, um, she's five, and she said, "Mommy, can I just have a sandwich for lunch?" Because <laughs> in Brazil, sandwiches are like afternoon tea. You okay. know, for lunch we have a hot meal. So I, I send a hot meal with some snacks for her to, uh, for school in a thermos. 
So because culturally, that's what I grew up with and what I know, and that's what I do for her. But definitely the context of food makes a huge difference as well. Eating on the go or eating at a table. Research shows that having a meal with your family and your loved ones is so important for, for our health and well-being. That social connection is one of the pillars of lifestyle medicine. That's why the longest living people in the world live so long in the blue zones. Because the social connection and having the meal together underpins their culture and what they do. So definitely there's adaptation when you go to different countries or, uh, um, or date other people or have, you know, multicultural families. Because you do have to adapt to the context in which food is eaten and you, not only what type of food is eaten. Dr. Flav, you just said something about the blue zone. Could you explain what that yes. means? So the blue zones are people that live over 100 years of age and the social connections, one of the factors that all these blue zones in the world have in common. So from California to Greece to Japan, they have very different diets. One's really high in rice and one's really high in fish. And, but what's common about all diets is that they're very rich in plant foods. Um, they have some seafood and they have th those social connections. So they have purpose in life. They exercise every day. And the exercise is not going to the gym, but it's, you know, walking, um, up and down hills in their village, gardening, th that incidental exercise. And that social connection is huge. It's a big, it's one of the big factors that were identified. Of That's why fascinating. So and so, yeah. and does eating together and eating together, eating the same food, is that part of that, uh, is that part of that research? Well, it's, it's, so, it's really interesting because um, the way that what other people eat influences what we eat in our, in our closed social networks. So there's a huge study that came out a couple of years ago in a real life setting. They basically were able to predict in. So this is a hospital cafeteria and every staff had a card they can swipe when they purchase food. So the researchers analyzed all that data and they were able to predict who was in your closed social network by the foods that you purchased because we mimic food choices of those around us. So you can flip that on the positive to say, like, if you're dating someone that's really has a healthful diet and makes more nourishing choices every day, by default, you're going to mimic that and have that diet as well. That is absolutely fascinating, Dr. Flav. Thank you for sharing that information. Steve from Canberra has. Steve, welcome to Life Matters. What's your uh, changing your diet for love story? Hi, Beverly, um, and your guests and um, listeners. Um, so, yeah, so I'd, I um, married um, uh, a vegetarian, um, and also she, uh, her cultural background is Indian. Um, so um, there was, that was probably a... Oh, I'm a meat eater, um, but um, not, a, you know, not a steak um, and veg every day sort of meat eater. But um, it was something that I remember distinctly when we... Uh, decided to get married that it was a, a sticking point for us um, because I guess um, it came down to well who kind of um, uh, I guess has the who's who's Whose food culture or, wins in a way yeah like who yeah when we came to because we hadn't lived together till that point so who who sort of um, wins over not 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 in a mean way but so yeah so I remember we did sort of negotiate how, how we could live together and, and me continue to eat meat. Yes, and um, how, how has that turned out? What is the result of the negotiation, Stephen? Yeah, so I guess it meant me 
sort of um, eating some meat, say, for instance, at work more so, or cooking occasionally outside, um, opening a tin of tuna outside, um, that sort of thing. But, you know, having the, you know, my wife having the cultural heritage, <clears throat> the Indian cultural heritage made it very easy, really, in the home because there's so many yummy Indian yes. dishes um, with beans and lentils and that sort of thing. Um, so, but yeah, even that side of things was interesting though because I, I'm not sort of I wasn't used to eating as as much in the way of legumes and that sort of did. I remember having digestive issues initially, <laughs> and um, <laughs> but we did soak. You know, we we learned to soak things um, and sprout. You know, lentils and that sort of thing, which I think helped. But then when we had children, sort of it raised the complexity again of well. Do we raise them vegetarian or give them choice? So I kind of... And where did you land there, Stephen? Yeah, I did sort of think, um, you know, it would be good for my my daughters to, our daughters to um, have choice. So so I did sort of, um, I guess, introduce meat to them early on and... But I, I, I kind of acknowledge, you know, when, when we're as they got to be bigger, that you know this is you know a tuna that we're you know its life's been given so that we can eat it and sort of try to sort of instill that sort of respectful mm. way of um, eating meat. And I guess as they got older, they made their own choices. So my elder daughter has decided to be vegetarian now. My younger one still does eat meat, so we occasionally will cook outside again, or when we're out, we'll eat meat occasionally, but whenever we're out together as a family, we'll just eat vegetarian. That's really fascinating, Stephen, what you said about when you started to introduce meat to your daughters, that you made the point of telling them that an animal had given up its life. Do you feel that uh, being exposed to so much vegetarianism in your daily life has given you a different perspective on how you view the consumption of meat? I think so, yeah. And my my father-in-law is um, a, a Jain, so that sort of, you know, um, very respectful of life and not taking life. So, um, yeah, so I think so. That, that sort of mix of the cultural side of things plus, uh, I guess, understanding why my wife had become vegetarian and then me thinking about, well, yeah, what do I, what are my values? Um, that definitely helped in terms of, you know, how we raised, uh, or raising our daughters and then them, them being able to make their own choice, I suppose, um, balancing things. That's, that's a, thank you so much, Stephen, for calling and sharing that story, because it really shows that journey of seeing an obstacle, but then working around and actually coming to a really beautiful place of harmony and people making choices and being respectful of each other. Dr. Flav, I'd love to get your view on a couple of things that Stephen mentioned in that call. First one is that uh, digestive issues. Is that yeah, something that people should that. yeah, <laughs> thinking about if they go from 100%. being a meat eater to eating a lot of legumes, there for will be sure. What should we expect when making that kind of change? Yeah, I was dying to say something about that. So the legumes, any legumes, they're super high in prebiotic fiber. So that's basically jelly beans for the good bugs in the gut. Okay. So when, (laughs) when, and they're like, woohoo, I'm so excited, my favorite. And so when you go from zero to having lots in your diet, they go crazy. And when they go crazy eating it, they produce this gas. That's actually, you know, it's a byproduct of just them digesting it for you because we can't digest it, which is super good for health. But you got to do it slowly because otherwise you can get a lot of gas and cramping and you're just not used to all that amazing prebiotic food for the bacteria in the gut that helps keep your, your, your gut and your brain healthy. 
So introduce it really slowly, you know, instead of having a whole cu cup of dal, have a couple of tablespoons and, and up your intake, because then the bacteria will get used to it. They're like, oh, yeah, jelly beans are there every day. I don't have to make a big deal out of it anymore. And they'll get used to it and then they'll, they'll, they'll adapt. Yeah, to, to really interesting extra. because yeah. gut health is such a huge and, and kind of trendy topic at the moment. Fascinating call from Stephen. Really appreciate him calling in. Um, the next question I wanted to ask based off that call, Dr. Flav, is children being vegetarian. I know that's a, lot, a big conversation when a parent is a vegetarian, mm -hmm. whether their child follows suit and is vegetarian. And questions about nutrition. Do they get, will they get enough nutrients if they are a vegetarian? Since you're a, a nutrition scientist, I think it'd be great to get your your expert view on this of course a hundred percent children can grow up vegan or vegetarian obviously if vegan they need a couple supplements like vitamin b12 but it's a hundred percent you can have really a healthful nutritious diet in lots of different dietary patterns and it's an important point that he raised because it's that conversation that needs to be had between the people raising the child um, otherwise, it can be quite confusing for the child, especially with parents that perhaps are separated. Maybe when they go visit one parent, it's one way of meeting the other. So just having that conversation with the child around food and making sure it's really positive what you're saying around it rather than negative. So um, because it then helps foster that positive relationship for that child around food. So rather than becoming a restriction, I can't have this, I can't have that. It's around the foods that are in our family diet. Um, are the choices we make because of X, Y, and Z. So just rather than being restrictive, positioning it in a really positive way because you can have a very healthy diet in lots of different ways, shapes, and forms. We have so many texts coming in that show us that Radio National and Life Matters listeners are either vegetarian or partner with a vegetarian or have vegetarians in their family. The vegetarians are legion. James writes, when I met my Hindu husband, I was a very traditional Caucasian cook. I am now often chopping chilies, ginger root and garlic and dashing with spices to liven things up. James, we love to hear that you're loving your spices. It's fantastic. Uh, are there any health benefits, uh, Dr. Flav, to uh, having a varied diet or introducing things like those kinds of spices and aromatics to your diet? A hundred percent. So we, in nutrition science, we're kind of stuck back in time in the time of vitamins and minerals. So yes, we need vitamins and minerals to prevent like, you know, the deficiencies that keep our body working. But the, what's new in nutrition science right now, it's the bioactives. The bioactives are the molecules that are found predominantly in plant foods so in all these vegetarian and vegan diets, they'd be very rich in these bioactives. And bioactives have so many roles in the body, from being an antioxidant to helping feed our good bugs in the gut. There, there's more and more that we're discovering of how important they are. So for example, when we're adding extra virgin olive oil, it's not just fat. Like we can't just see that as fat because there's so much more. There's hundreds of bioactives in them that are really important for, for health. Same with spices. So spices aren't just something that adds flavor. It adds those bioactives to food. So there's loads of benefits that we're just starting to uncover about those bioactives and how important they are for health, especially the color ones. So by adding color to your plate and with all the plant foods, that's what you do. Um, color is a natural cue for us to eat. Like as humans, we see color, we want to eat it. So the more color variety we have in our diet, the healthier the diet is. So That's, it's a really easy way to just add color to your plate instead of thinking, 
uh, how many serves of veggies do I need? And uh, too hard. Right. <laughs> Just add color to your plate, and you're adding those bioactives. You're adding what you need, and will help you. You're making the food it. beautiful, and <laughs> and you're making it healthier for you as well. So it's a, a win exactly. win. Uh, we've got another texter who's written in about this vegetarian uh, meat eater divide in the family, and it's Dama who says that my meat eating neighbor cooks his steaks on a barbecue on his front lawn, as his wife oh, and no. daughter are vegetarian. <laughs> That's very considerate. <laughs> and then the, the neighborhood, if there's fellow meat lovers there, they will, uh, I'm sure, enjoy that. Um, other texts coming in. Peter in Maryborough, a common base sauce or stir fry is the key. My favorite is a tomato-based sauce, which I add to marinara for me and vegetarian meatballs. Someone should produce a cookbook called I Married a Vegetarian. Well, Peter, maybe that could be you. Getting a lot of cooking tips as well. What's that crossover for you, Dr. Flav, in terms of nutrition science and cooking? It sounds like there's a lot There's a lot there. Just hearing you talk about uh, adding food, uh, adding color to, to whatever you make. A hundred percent. I mean, it's great that we study all the health benefits of food to our health, but food is only nutritious if it's eaten, right? And that's where culinary nutrition comes in. Um, It's all about like, you know, if meat and three veg, like when I came to Australia, I married my husband, I was like, gosh, like you just steam the veggies. Like it gets so boring, like add some flavor, do something to it, right? So it's around the making food tasty is key to it being nutritious so don't be afraid to put a bit of butter on your veggies and and add different sauces and different spices and spice it up because food is only nutritious if it's eaten and in order to eat it we've got to make it tasty yeah and that's a different eating uh, clash of uh, food styles as well as when your palates Mm -hmm. are not necessarily in alignment but it sounds like from the texts and calls we're coming we're getting through that uh you know australia's multicultural population is really uh helping everybody out here genevieve welcome to life matters Oh, thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Um, So I have a bit of a different story. I was a vegetarian and sometimes vegan for almost 30 years. And then my son was born and he had cerebral eczema. It turns out it was all being caused by, we had food allergies. And he had, just before he was one, he had anaphylaxis to some seeds because I used to have a lot of seeds and um, typical things that healthy vegetarians would eat. And so he has multiple food allergies. He can't have um, seeds, nuts, most legumes, um, dairy, etc. So, um, and he's been under constant um, hospital um, monitoring and lots of hospital visits. So they convinced me against, and I became a vegetarian for moral reasons. Mm-hmm. I was against animals being slaughtered um, mm-hmm. to give my son meat, and this was a huge compromise for me. So I started giving my son meat, and he's okay with meat, um, health-wise. And then, um, because I don't like to waste things, I'm also very environmentally minded, I don't like any wastage. So when there was some meat and some meat still left on it, I started to eat that myself, (laughs) and I I don't have any animals here to give the the meat scraps to. So then, because I didn't give up meat because I didn't like meat, I actually used to like meat, I did it for moral reasons. So then I have now started... Um, eating meat myself the last couple of years. So, because I'm just, just for convenience, I suppose, I'm making the one meal because I have to do a lot of cooking. But when I make the meals, as opposed to cooking something separately for myself, I just eat what my son can eat. Um, but I have noticed since I started doing that, I've had terrible gut issues. Mm. And I know before you're talking about how legumes can give people some digestive issues. I was wondering if you've become 
a vegetarian long term and then you start eating meat again, whether that's going to have a deleterious effect on your body. That's an excellent question, Dr. Flav. What say you? Um, as long as you're still eating all the, the plant foods along with the meat, then it wouldn't have any negative effect on the gut. I mean, there's, so, you know, meats are rich in quite a lot of nutrients that we struggle to get with in vegetarian diets, like iron, um, that's quite highly absorbable, and like the iron found in plant foods. So as long as you're, it's the overall diet, right, rather than singular foods that cause disease or cause problems, it's the combination. So still having those plant foods in your diet are super important to, to have those, all, all those bioactives and the fiber that's going to protect your gut. Does it help you at all, Genevieve? And the meat is very heavy and also because of my son's allergies, unfortunately I've given up eating seeds and nuts and things I used to rely on and lentils and other beans. I've had to give it all up. Mm. Yeah. What about mushrooms? <laughs> uh, mushrooms? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, we don't really eat mushrooms. I tend to steer no. clear of the fungal things. Oh, okay. Okay. Because <laughs> that would have been another choice, something a bit different that um, can help feed your good bugs as well. Well, Genevieve, maybe it is time uh, to try mushrooms if that is a, a possibility <laughs> for you and, and you know, uh, appealing to you. Good luck to you. And thank you so much for sharing that story about how you change your diet for love. I mean, I think it's right there in that story. Let's go straight to Bernadette in Canberra. Welcome to Life Matters, uh, Bernadette. I understand you are a longtime vegetarian. How do you manage it in your family? Well, I've always been the minority. <laughs> And uh, I grew up in a, a meat-eating country area, so um, you know it, it was it was pretty strange that I, I was vegetarian. So and I've for what reason where did you become a vegetarian, Bernadette? Oh well, I never liked meat okay. as a child, and uh, and I saw a um, a sheep slaughtered, so I thought you know I don't like it. There's no point doing that if I don't like it. So that was it, and I was five years old. So I've been vegetarian for um, almost 60 years. Wow. And, so, and are other members of your family also vegetarian, Bernadette? No, absolutely not. No. <laughs> no. no. So I'm kind of used to being, and I'll make that point because I'm used to being the minority, and I absolutely bless the day we, um, you know, we had access, or I personally had access to a whole lot of different uh, foods. You know, I, I love shopping in in uh, South Asian and Asian grocery stores. So, I mean, you know, it's 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 just fabulous. It's it's been, you know, because I was kind of eking away in existence and always cutting up my own veggies and eating them with tofu was was a godsend. Um, at, at the point I became a vegetarian, I was living uh, eight hours from my capital city, which was Brisbane, and uh, we were getting soybeans in a can. <laughs> they were pretty ordinary, but mum carried them up. So the point I was kind of rang for is I, I, I just have separate cutting boards, separate utensils, uh, different woks, you know, and, and everyone understands that's the system. So it can be done. I actually cook meat for my family because, again, they make their choices and, uh, you know, they want to eat meat. I'll cook it. Not a lot of meat because that's... You know, it's it's just what they choose not to have. So I cut up all the veggies first, as I've always done, and I put my tofu or whatever I'm having. Yep. And uh, they put theirs. So. Well, you've got a system down. Now, Bernadette, I've got a question from a texter. I wonder if you might be well-placed to answer it. The texter says, I'm interested in learning about how vegetarian parents go when their children are being looked after by friends or grandparents with different eating values, for example, eating meat. I see this being a point of clash 
uh, uh, being a point for clash of beliefs and also tension. Bernadette, have you got experience there and how did you manage that? Well, when I was a child, I had people trying to hide meat under my vegetables <laughs> and they were <laughs> practically unrecognisable as vegetables because everyone overcooked them. <laughs> so I, I'm, I think it's an issue of respect and I've always managed it in terms of you know, respecting other people's food choices. So if you have a child into your house, you accept, you respect them as, as the person they are and you cater to them. You don't try to, you know, you, you actually sort of buy something in if you need to. Mm. Go down, uh, you know, just, just, just accommodate them because you've invited them to the house and them means the whole of them. It's just hospitality is what you're saying. Bernadette, That's thank you right. so much for your call. Really appreciate your story. And uh, thank you for sharing how you manage that with all your different pots and pans. Uh, well done. Um, Dr. Flav, this brings me to a question that I thought of as, as Bernadette was speaking to us. And it's, I think attachment to certain foods is really interesting. I think in a country like Australia where three uh, a meat and three veg or two veg even, the idea of having the meat as a central part of the ma- of the meal and having that, you know, chicken breast or whatever it is is so tied into how people see food and who they are, that it can be quite difficult. Just when Bernadette said people hiding meat under the veggies, that seems like to going so far as if, you know, it was something important to them that this child must eat meat or else who knows what might go wrong. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that attitude a little bit and what you think is going on there? I think it's because we, everyone eats every day and it's so part of our cultural identity that we identify as a vegetarian like i am vegetarian not i eat vegetarian so food becomes ingrained on who we are and obviously our beliefs about who we are are huge in terms of all our actions and and things that we do on a daily basis so i think it's important for people to just realize that you are not what you eat literally <laughs> those are the choices you make about the foods that nourish your body yeah and perhaps we didn't we shouldn't label people in a certain way like i mean even from a nutrition science perspective i'm like we're doing studies correlating vegetarians semi-vegetarians etc to health but what if i've been vegan all my life and then all of a sudden I started eating meat or what if I eat all plant-based foods and I have a tiny little bit of meat who am I then right so just flipping it on the side and going hmm does it what I eat does it really is it really who I am or it's just the food choices I'm making yeah and perhaps letting go a little bit of that we in society we put so much um, emphasis on who we are based on what we eat and I think it's time we let go of that a bit. And you just, you are you. <laughs> and <laughs> and you I happen to, to eat certain, certain kinds eating. of food. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, tell us your changing your diet for love story. Well, my daughter was born with a severe heart defect. And she could eat very little. You know, it's, uh, as a small child, she'd probably eat two or three mouthfuls and then she was full. So we completely cut out empty calories. We had high nutrition um, food. (laughs) And the debate about meat is interesting because um, in the family, it was very much a debate about sugar. My mother thought the children were grossly deprived by not being allowed to have lollies and soft drinks. And um when uh, and when eventually she was able to have heart surgery the surgeon said to me 
mm, she looks so healthy. We didn't believe some of the stats we were getting in, because they do enormous assessments before they actually engage in open heart surgery on small children. Uh, he said, because she seems so healthy. He said, once we opened her up, um, we were starting, we realised that she would have been, oh, she would have been regarded as inoperable. But because she was there on the table, we did what we could. And she she turned 50 last year. Wow, Jackie, think that's that's a beautiful story, and I must be so validating to you that you stuck with that despite, uh, you know, people's objections and perhaps wondering why you were doing what you were doing. It was very clear to you that there was a very strong reason to change the diet. Uh, yes, thank, yes. Yeah, Jackie, thank yes, you. Yes, we, we, I made all our own bread. I made um, everything from, um, you know, the basic ingredients so that there weren't all the chemical additives either. Mm-hmm. Um, and Adelaide has a wonderful... Uh, central market and I could buy most of the things I needed there and it was um, you know quite a lot of work but the end result was absolutely worth it was it not survived yes Jackie thank you so much for your call on Dr. Flav that brings me to a very important point that we have to talk about before we wrap is that there are not just food styles and food cultures but very serious health reasons why someone might eat or not eat particular things in Jackie's case her daughter really needed to have specific nutrients and they cut out the empty calories and we know people like celiacs who are have huge gluten intolerances how do we manage those in a household where say someone you know it it could threaten their life to eat a piece of bread and another person well they just love their bagels how do we see a way to have that conversation to uh, I guess find some respect and also more safety in the household when it comes to situations like that a hundred percent. I mean, food really is medicine. You know, there we know more and more the power of changing what you eat for, for your health, not only to prevent conditions, but to treat them as well. So it's very powerful. And we have to respect that as a family. If anyone has any um, medically related nutritional um, restrictions, then it's a very important conversation that the family has to have. So they understand how important it is to stick to that for that person's health. The problem is, is that nutrition is not something that you often see right away. Yes, yeah, an allergy, an allergic reaction, you can see the flare, it's acute. But with most of nutrition, it takes years and years. You know, we can't see someone's arteries clogged up. We can't see someone's bones thinning because they're not getting enough dietary calcium. So nutrition is a little bit hard because it takes a long time to see the effect of that diet on health. And I think it's important that families just have that conversation And if there needs to be a compromise, you focus on the positive. So rather than, oh, we can't have seeds in the house anymore, we can't have peanut butter, we can't have red meat or whatever it is, then focus on what you can have as a family and what you can cook in one meal. And then you can add the side dishes and get creative with it for the people that don't have the restrictions if it's not life-threatening, obviously, in the kitchen. So focus on the positive, make one meal, otherwise it's unsustainable for the family to be creating lots of different meals and be creative with the side dishes and options for those that can have it. Um, Or even, you know, starting with a base vegetarian spag bowl and then adding the meat for those that can have it later. So it's just around compromising and finding how you can create one meal. Um, That way the, the family can still eat the meal together. They're eating similar things, mimicking each other's behavior and feeling really part of the family. 
got a question from the text line. Uh, they say, not sure if it's been mentioned, but vitamin C rich uh, foods increase absorption of iron. Uh, for example, onions in a chickpea curry. Is that correct, Dr. Flav? A hundred percent. So um, there's two types of iron, the one found in plant foods and the one found in animals. The one in animals, our body absorbs really well. The ones in plants, not so much. Plus, plant foods have other compounds that bind to iron and excrete it, so our body doesn't absorb it. But adding vitamin C makes the plant iron more bioavailable or absorbable and accessible by the body. And it can be as simple as squeezing some lemon juice or lime juice on your plate, on your you on go. your dal, on your or having lemon juice or, or orange juice with your meal, or even cooking in an iron cast pan. So Iron is a mineral that you can't create or destroy. So it doesn't matter what you do to it, it's going to still be in your meal. Um, so ha- cooking it in an iron cast pan can actually help some of the iron in the pan leach into the food. That's such, that's and, and so interesting. Yeah, <laughs> Science, incredible. <laughs> it is, We've amazing. got time for one more call from Heath in South Australia. Welcome to Life Matters, Heath. What's your changing your diet for love story? Well, <clears throat> recently my partner, I've done Pretty severe celiac. But I've actually opted with support of her. I've opted to go. Oh, Heath, unfortunately, it's quite a bad line. We might have to leave it there. But I think what Heath was going to say is that he's gone gluten-free because of his partner who was diagnosed with celiac. Such a common story, uh, Dr. Flav, people making that uh, change for love. And it's it's the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do. Finally, I guess in our final minute that we have with you, Dr. Flav, can you share maybe your top tip for people trying to uh, see a way to a compromise in, in vastly different diets? What's your piece of advice? I think it's really focusing on the joy the food brings you and your and your loved ones from maybe the way it tastes to the memory it like instigates in your family or who who you're having it with but really focus on the joy that food brings rather than on the restrictions that that person or that loved one brings to the table. Dr. Flav, thank you. It's been such an interesting chat. Dr. Flavia Fayetmore is a nutrition scientist and the co-founder of Food is Cool. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.